Before the show, a quick word from our sponsor. What is up, Bitcoiners? It's CK, and I'm here to talk to you about the Bitcoin 2021 conference this June in sunny Miami, Florida. It is going to be June 4th and 5th, and we are barreling towards a sold-out conference. Already one-third of our available tickets have been sold, and way more than half of our whale passes have been sold. We are almost sold out completely on the whale pass. We have amazing speakers, Jack Dorsey, Chamath, Nick Zabo, Tony Hawk, Peter Todd, many, many more, and many more to be announced. You can go to the website to check them all out. Mayor Suarez has welcomed us into the city with open arms. And again, tickets are flying off the shelves. Seriously, I see the feed and like I've done many conferences. This one is is really has some something going for it. And honestly, guys, like after all this, after 2020, Bitcoiners want to grab a beer, hang out. We're bringing back Bitcoin 2019 vibes times 10 prices times 10. Let's go. Use promo code SATOSHI, all caps, SATOSHI for 10% off. You can go to the website b.tc backslash conference. Again, that is b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket today. Today, prices also are going up and hey, we may just sell out. So we have a hard cap. Can't really be flexible there. Don't wait. Live from Utrecht, this is the fan William Schorznado. Hello. 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 Hey, who's there? I don't know. Someone who's never been on the show before. It's Ruben. Oh. Ruben is back. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Ruben, I think you're our in-house sidechain expert. I guess so. At this yeah. point. <laughs> well, I would consider you a, you're, you're a Bitcoin expert, but you're, Hopefully. it seems like your specialization lies in all sorts of sidechain anything sidechain yeah that that seems like it it just happened to be like that become like that is that how i'm using the term correctly i that's how i've been using the term sidechain is sort of the umbrella term and yeah then we have all sorts of different ways of doing it which have their own names like drive chain or state chain or so they were it depends if you're picking on the definition of sidechain then it's not then you would just say other chain or related chain i guess yeah but that doesn't uh, really roll off the tongue i'm a other chain experts. <laughs> Something like, well, not not altcoins again. No, you're not an altcoin expert. <laughs> so no. it's difficult. Yeah, I, I like. Generally speaking, I'm very much interested in trying to get Bitcoin to do more with less, and I think side chains are a, a good avenue for for reaching that. So that's kind of why I think I spend a lot of time thinking about these things. Yeah. So you came up with another idea, another type of side chain, then yep. I would call it, yep. which is called a soft chain. That's right. And that's what we're gonna discuss today. Yeah, we're going to try and uh, understand it. Great. So first of all, for the listeners who haven't listened to one of the previous episodes about sidechains, Ruben, what is a sidechain? Briefly. Yeah, so a sidechain is basically a completely separate chain, ideally, that you can move your Bitcoins to and you can move your Bitcoins back again. And the dream is kind of that you can build out this ecosystem where your Bitcoins are not necessarily stuck with Bitcoin's validation rules. But if you if you like Ethereum's validation rules or something, you could maybe move your Bitcoins to some Ethereum-like chain and use them there. 
And then when you are done again, because you figured out that Ethereum is not so great after all, you can move back to Bitcoin and buying and selling is not quite that at all. And uh, this kind of preserves the 21 million Bitcoin limits where you don't have to deal with all these altcoin shenanigans, yet you still get all the functionality that you might want that is not available in Bitcoin currently. Yeah. So that's an argument from experimentation or from more features. I guess so, yeah. And, and your other argument, I guess, would be scale in theory. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a second, second argument. Good point. Yeah, if you have all these sidechains, then potentially you could have more block space. You could have multiple sidechains that are just like Bitcoin or maybe slightly different. And yeah, it basically gives you more block space for people to use. Yeah, so let's let's say you want to use some sort of DeFi app that's not really compatible with the current Bitcoin protocol. You can move it to a sidechain that has these Ethereum rules and you can do all your DeFi stuff there. And then when you're done, yeah. you move back your Bitcoins to the main Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, and importantly, yeah, that you, you can do it with your Bitcoins, right? Because we talked about... I think I didn't call it space chains back then, but I call it space chains now, which is blind merge mining in a perpetual one-way PAG. Mm -hmm. So that one did not allow you to move your Bitcoins to, well, you could move to the other chain, but you couldn't move back. (laughs) So this proposal actually allows you to move back, but there are obviously downsides as well, which we'll get into. Yeah, Yeah. a couple of weeks ago, we talked about drive chains, which do allow you to move your coins back. Yeah, and that's also good to kind of point out the difference. So with drive chains, very, you know, high level, the miners basically control the Bitcoins and they decide whether or not you get to move back. And with this proposal, it wouldn't be like that. It would actually be consensus, basically, whether or not you get to move back. Yeah. So we just gave the DeFi example. Other examples would be like Zcash, yeah. sidechain, or like any any altcoin that's out there. Basically, you could instead use a sidechain and then therefore use sort of the Bitcoin currency unit Yeah. under these different rules and conditions. That's right. All right. So soft chains you're new well is it new no when did you propose this uh yes and no it's new i i posted it december 31st last year so not too long ago because we just entered this year so it was a little a new year's gift so to speak it's your newest one it's my newest one but it's you know i'm building forth on work that i did about a year and a half ago on proof of work fraud proofs so it's not completely new but the kind of sidechain aspect of it is new right so yeah, that is the first step in explaining how soft chains work, our proof of work. Fraud proofs. Fraud proofs, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so let's get into that. And before we get into that, I want to tell the listener, at this point, it's probably easiest if you forget about sidechains for, for a minute. Mm. Ruben is just going to explain a consensus mechanism. It could potentially work on the Bitcoin main chain as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. What are proof of work fraud Yeah, so so we're taking a bit of a detour here, and we're going to be talking about how you could potentially validate a blockchain, such as Bitcoin or other blockchains, in in a way that is very cheap to to validate. Essentially, so it's kind of like one way of doing that would be SPV proofs, where uh, SPV basically means you look at the proof of work. And you just assume that whichever chain with the most proof of work, a lot of effort went into creating that chain, so it must be valid. Like that's one way you can get very cheap consensus. But the general issue with that is that you're trusting that 51% of the miners or or more is actually telling you the truth. And if, if everybody starts relying on that, these miners could actually create coins out of thin air. So it's not very secure, but it would be one way of kind of getting cheap consensus. Yeah, so the normal way to achieve that is for everyone on the network to 
control to check every to validate every protocol rule yes to validate that everything that happens in every block is valid yeah and then spv like you explained is a much cheaper way to do it because you're not checking everything in every block you're only checking the proof of work yeah and so in and episode then, 25 we actually explained spv oh great yeah right and then soft chains are is a is a method sort of in between well proof of work fraud proofs right that, that's that's why we're not talking about the soft chains yet right you're right yeah that, yeah, that it's it's sort of in between full validation and SPV validation in a way. So if you look at SPV, the assumption is SPV works if fifty one percent of all miners are being honest. Mm-hmm. And the with proof of work fraud proofs, what you can do is you can say this this validation method works if there is some honest miner out there and. You can choose whatever percentage you like. If you say it's 1%, that's fine. Uh, you can go all the way conservative to say 0.01%. But the difference is that what your assumption is affects how slow your validation is. How more, how more? You, you need more confirmations if you want to trust less miners. Am I saying yeah, that right? Yeah, so, so let's take a simple number like 1%. If you assume that only 1% of all miners is honest and 99% is out there to get you, it basically means that you got to wait for that honest miner to create their block. And if you don't see that block, well, you're not going to see that block until you've given them enough time to actually create that block. So that's why it's a slow consensus mechanism, but it's much more secure than SPV. And you no longer have the 51% assumption. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So to restate that with SPV, with full validation, you don't tr- need to trust any hash power, basically. Yeah. With SPV, you need to trust that at least half hash power is honest. Yeah, and more then than half. Yeah, with proof of war work fraud proofs. Sorry for the name. Yeah, you can sort <laughs> of pick your own level of trust in hash power, and then depending on that, you need to wait for more confirmations. Yeah, and so let's say yeah. I think okay, I think at least one percent of hash power is going to be honest. So therefore, I'm just going to wait a whole day of confirmations, for example. Yeah, that's or right. maybe two days or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so how yeah. does this work? Yeah, exactly. So so the way this works is you only look at the forks. So if you have, normally when you have the Bitcoin blockchain, you download all the headers and then you download all the blocks that are associated with the headers. Uh, but what you do here is you only you start with only the headers and then you look whether there are forks. So maybe you have like block one, block two, block three, four, five. And then somewhere along the line, you see another block three. So block three B, let's say. So there's one, two, three B, and there's one, two, three A, four, five, and I, I want to yeah. make a small clarification for listeners that don't know this because the term fork is very confusing. That's true. Yeah, we're not talking about Bcash kind of altcoin forks or anything like that. We're just talking about the normal operation of things in Bitcoin, where sometimes, for example, by coincidence, two competing blocks are mined by different miners, and then eventually the longest chain wins out, right? Yeah, that, that, that's That's correct. the type of fork we're talking about here. Yeah, so which, we, which we mentioned in last week's episode. Perfect. <laughs> You're like an encyclopedia <laughs> short episodes. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so basically these are regular, naturally occurring forks that would happen in Bitcoin anyway, just by pure coincidence, or you know, if a miner just happens to mess up or whatever. So these these occur naturally. But there are also reasons why they could occur kind of unnaturally, which is that a miner is kind of deliberately trying to create an invalid. And if there's a deliberate attempt to create an invalid block, all the miners that kind of don't want to participate in that invalid chain, they need to fork away from from that chain. 
So given we kind of can... can uh, hang on, do you yeah. mean by invalid in this context, do you mean that it's breaking protocol rules? Exactly, right. yeah. yeah. So for example, the miner is awarding itself a thousand Bitcoin as a block reward. Yeah, so basically anything that your full node would, would reject. If your full node were to download the block and validate the block and they would reject the block, that would be an invalid block. Right, yeah. So, you so it's possible for miners to create invalid blocks, then you have a fork basically... What happens then, Ruben? Yeah, so so that's that's kind of what, what you want to check for, right? You want to figure out whether something is invalid. And so this is called proof-of-work fraud proofs. And the reason for that is maybe it's not the best name. Sure, so you, you, you had a suggestion for fraud. I think it was proof-of-work fraud indicator. Fraud indicator, yeah. So I like that. I forgot it again, but yeah, it's good. So fraud indicator, let's say. So that the fact that there's a fork is an indication that's, the, the block you're forking away from might be invalid, but you don't know for sure. May or may not be, yeah. Yeah. So if we then had a method to validate that specific block, we could actually kind of, kind of investigate that claim and see whether or not something is wrong. So that's the first thing. And, and the second thing is that this miner that created the forked block, they did choose to mine the, the block before it, is the same in both forks. Yeah, right? they so, still agree that the block bef- that came before it is valid. Everyone basically, of all the forks you're seeing, everyone agrees that block is valid at yeah. least. Yeah, otherwise they wouldn't have forked from that point. They would have forked earlier. Right. So so we have two assumptions here. We have the the assumption that that, that block might be invalid and the block before it, all the miners agree that it's valid. Right. So with that assumption... Now what you need is you need to download block three and you need to validate it. But we have a problem because you need the UTXO set to validate the block. Right, because every block contains transactions which refer back to previous transactions. And those previous transactions, well, they're not in this block. So either you have to download all the other blocks or you need to keep track of you know, which coins currently exist. And that is the UTXO set. Yeah. Which we discussed in episode... Well, in a whole bunch of episodes, but in particular because of where we're going in episode yeah. 15, where we explain U3XO and UTXO commitments. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, U3XO, which is definitely an episode I think you should go back and listen to. But U3XO basically gives you a solution to validate blocks without having the, the entire UTXO set. You just need a hash, and then you need some proofs that are attached to the hash. And that allows you to validate a transition. So in this case, from block two to block three, uh, we can validate that transition. So what you need inside of block two, inside of consensus, is a hash to the, the U3XO state. And with that state, which you assume is valid because we're assuming block two is valid, you can then uh, validate the transition from block two to block three mm-hmm. without requiring the entire UTXO set. And that's how we achieve basically what we want, which is validating block three and figuring out whether the most proof of work chain is valid or not. Yeah, so the reason it's that's much lighter than full validation is because you're not downloading all the blocks. You're only looking for potential conflicts where, where they exist. And yeah. that's the only that's the only thing you check. Yeah. Well, plus the block headers, the proof of work for all blocks. Yeah, so it's basically every block for which there is another block at the same block height, mm-hmm. you need to go and check the, the block inside of the most proof of work chain. Right. right, and if you're bored, you can also check, you know, a random other block as a spot check. Although for this mechanism, that doesn't really matter. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would do anything here, but it's, uh, it's definitely interesting that it's possible uh, thanks to Utree. So uh, if you have these uh, commitments. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing, there are different ways of doing commitments of the UTXO set in blocks. And UTXO is a very interesting one because it's not just a commitment that you can, you know, if you have the UTXO set, you can figure out what the UTXO is, but you could have a different hash as well, but that hash won't be very useful to check the next block. And with U3XO, it is useful to check the next block because you can. it's a hash that you can add things to. It's an accumulator. Yeah. So I can take the hash of the previous block, add all the transactions to it, and now I have the hash of the new block. Yeah. And, well, we explained that in episode 15, but not all UTXO commitments will work like this. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I want to point out right here that this, what you just explained, this is why you potentially only need 1% of honest miners. Now, let's say mm. in this example you just gave, proof of work, fraud proofs, fraud indicators, if 100% of miners is dishonest, then you're never going to find out because yeah. there's never going to be a conflicting block. They're always colluding and you're just never going to find out. Yes. But if there's even 1% of honest miners, then at some point that one honest miner isn't going to build on the longest proof of work chain because they think it's invalid. They know it's invalid. Instead, they're going to create a conflicting block that's honest so even if there were like 100 blocks that were dishonest after block one or whatever, and then at some point the honest miner will create an honest block two, at that point you see the conflict and you go check which of the two block twos is valid. If you see that a block two that created, that was that preceded the 100 blockchain with 100 blocks, then you're just going to reject all 100 blocks exactly. and you're going to continue only honest block number two. Yeah. So it's uh, important to point out here that... The creation of the fork is really not a sacrifice, right? It's not that that person who created the, that fork block and and caused the 100 blocks to be rejected. That's just kind of the normal way things should be. Like that person who created the fork block, they get the block reward, whereas everybody else who was building on the invalid chain, they get nothing, right? It, because their chain is invalidated. Right, but it is a little bit risky because at any point, you know, if you're proposing, if you're telling the rest of the network, oh, we're about to do a 100 block reorg, you know, or maybe a thousand or whatever it is, at some point, the rest of the network might say, well, although you're right, like it's not worth the damage that this reorg does. But we yeah. don't want to get too far ahead of our discussion section. But Well, yeah. we, we can get into this now. Maybe yeah, that's I, th easier. I think it's a good like, moment. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people might say, well, I just sold my car for these coins or I just, <laughs> you know, I just accepted rent or whatever. Yeah. Let's, you know, okay, yes, sure, the chain turned out to be invalid, but... Let's just forget about it. Let's just continue on this chain because I don't want to lose all this money I received. Yeah, so that's, so, that's sort of possible. That's sort of yeah. complicated incentive mm -hmm. thing going on there, game theory yeah. thing. Now, or, of course, if you're receiving money on one of those soft chains or whatever thing is built on top of this mechanism, if you're the one receiving coins on it, you probably want to do full validation of that particular chain. Yeah. So at least you know that there's a problem. But then you could still have the opposite where you, you can see that there's cheating going on, but you may have to wait a whole year for any miner to agree with you on the fact that it, there's cheating going on because all the other people are not validating. You're the only one validating. Yeah. So so the people who are not validating, uh, of not fully validating, but only basically doing the proof of work fraud proof validation, they, they have an assumption to make, right? Like they have to assume that there is a honest miner out there. And they have to, because of that assumption, they have to slow down how long they wait. So if you receive money for a car and you use this consensus mechanism and you don't wait for the proper number of blocks, yeah, that is that is just 
the wrong behavior, basically. That's not what you're supposed to do. So that's basically outside of the trust assum- assumption of this, this model. But if your assumption is wrong, right, if you just assume 1% of all miners is honest, and that's actually a wrong assumption, yeah, then then you are screwed. So that's definitely, uh, you got to make a conservative choice there. And for that reason, this consensus mechanism isn't isn't very practical instead of a full note. Like you could theoretically run this on your phone or something, right? So ironically, this reverses the risks when compared to how Bitcoin works with when it comes to light nodes. So if, if on Bitcoin, you're running an SPV node, but you see that if you're running the SPV node, you might be cheated because you're only checking the proof of work. But the, whoever runs the full node knows you know, exactly what's going on. But here it could be the opposite. You could be running a full node. You could be verifying everything very carefully, but you just don't get all the headers for some reason. And so, yeah, you might not know that somebody else is out there lying, basically. You'd have to not see a very long chain of headers. but Well, if they're invalid headers... Presumably, none of your peers are going to tell you about it because they're invalid. So maybe, maybe it's possible to not be aware. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess. I guess you'd still be following the the valid chain, but you might not yeah. know that there's an invalid chain out there. Yeah. Because yeah. you might only be talking to other full nodes. Yeah. So you don't know that the rest of the network is kind of trusting on an invalid chain, and yeah. shit is about to hit the fan. Although you have the correct chain. Yeah. Uh, it may take a while for the rest of the network to agree on that because there's an invalid chain out there that you don't know about. Though I guess you would know about it. Yeah, I think arguably it might be just good in general to give all valid proof of work headers to all the full nodes, regardless of whether or not they're in the most proof of work chain, uh, just as an indicator of whether something is wrong. But yeah, that's kind of a separate discussion. <laughs> yeah. So we've we've explained this consensus mechanism in general terms. Yeah. So how do we apply this as a side chain? Yeah. That would be the next step, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so now we have this consensus mechanism, which you could theoretically apply to Bitcoin, and you could have consensus this way, but just very slowly. Pl- yeah, plus it would require UTXO or yeah. something like that. So yeah, which which doesn't exist, but you know, if we create a side chain. It's easy to just implement it there. Yeah, I I have a method of actually not even requiring a U3XO commitment, but that's, that's yeah, that's good. let's not go into that. But there's, yeah. there's a post out there if you're interested in that. But it is good to realize that the U3XO and the commitments, you know, they are a bit of a controversial idea. Yeah. But in this case, they wouldn't have to happen on the Bitcoin side. They'd have to happen on the sidechain side. And so maybe we'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're doing here is we're using this consensus mechanism for the side chains or soft chains, as I call them, that we're going to be introducing. So on the side of the soft chains, you need to have these Utrecht so set commitments, but not not inside of the Bitcoin blockchain. Yep. So so that's not that's not something that we require for Bitcoin here. But you do need some soft fork on the Bitcoin yes. side. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell us. Yeah. So the way it works is we are going to introduce a soft fork and let's let's say we, we just start very simply let's let's say we want to create 10 more copies of, of bitcoin we use bitcoin core for it exactly the same so we kind of want to create a, a kind of a side chain block size increase so to speak so we create these 10 chains and they will have no coins on them and there, there's going to be no uh, no block reward or no coins being generated every block but people can move their coins in and moving their coins in is going to be very simple. It's just you freeze your coins on the Bitcoin blockchain and you point to a chain that you want to go to. And then what we do is we expect everybody who runs a Bitcoin full node to validate these other these 10 other soft chains, but they validate them through these proof of work fraud proofs. 
And roughly speaking... Uh, fraud indicators. Fraud indicators. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a better name. And roughly looking at the Bitcoin blockchain and, and its history and looking at kind of just natural forks occurring by accident, this comes down to, I think it was roughly, I don't remember the exact numbers, but something like 40 blocks a year. That's probably even on the high, high end. And roughly this, this would cost you, including the headers, 100 megabytes per chain per year. What, what you mean is 40 fork blocks, basically, right? Yes. So yeah. 40 times where you'd have to check exactly if, if anything weird is going on. Yeah. And that's with, yeah, not, you know, non-malicious, nobody on purpose, well, presumably. I, I guess we don't know what, what the reason was for these forks. Sure. Um, yeah. So given roughly those numbers, we can introduce those 10 chains and we can get everybody to validate them with proof of work for our proofs. And it would cost them 10 times 100 megabytes per year. So roughly one gigabyte. And if we if we thought that was a burden on these new on the on the full nodes, we could even combine this with a block size decrease. I think one gigabyte is only like minus one percent or something. So we could decrease the Bitcoin block size by one percent to compensate for the extra cost. And then we basically introduce these ten chains. And it's important to note, and this is something that some some people I've explained this to gotten gotten confused about. You completely separately validate the headers, so you just have to get the headers from the peer-to-peer uh, -peer network, from these proof of work, from these soft chains. So they're not going to be committed inside of the Bitcoin blockchain or anything like that. It is essentially like you're running eleven nodes. Yes. So your main Bitcoin node does full validation, and then you have ten Bitcoin sidechain nodes built in, of course, that are doing this partial validation by yeah. just doing the headers and just checking conflicts. Yeah, that's right. And then what we do is we make the we make the pegouts incredibly slow. We make them like a one year one year period. So the pegout meaning you you moved your coins to the soft chain and now you want to move back. Mm -hmm. So moving back is going to take a year. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to rely too much on miners. And if we wait a year, I don't know what it works out to, but it's like zero point zero one percent or something. Like somebody out there within a year has to invalid oh, has to create a fork when an invalid block occurs tr that is specifically trying to peg out something that's invalid so a peg out on the main chain that of course is a soft fork right because it's probably from old nodes point of view an address that anybody can spend from yeah coins go in there those yeah. coins belong to the side chain yeah and for old nodes anybody can just take that money but for these new nodes there are constraints yeah but what exactly is that constraint some sort of block refer they have to refer to a block hash on one of the side chains or yeah so this is not completely worked out because i think they're you know this really you go into the weeds and i think those design decisions kind of need to come later well but roughly yeah. you yeah, refer yeah, to yeah. a block hash because then you could say well if that block hash is orked out or like in an invalid block because we checked all those conflicts we're not going to accept the, the peg out yeah that's right yeah you definitely have to so if you want to peg out on the bitcoin blockchain you say hey i want to so you're not even spending the UTXO yet. You're just saying like one year from now, I want to take some coins out of this UTXO. And you point to a specific soft chain block, which also contains your pegout transaction that you want to be referring to. And then from that moment, inside of Bitcoin consensus, you wait one year worth of blocks, however many blocks that is. And then after a year, if that block, if that soft chain block that you pointed to is still valid according to proof of work fraud proof consensus, then you get your pegout. Yeah, yeah, so to make the problem you're solving here very concrete, if I understand correctly, to give one example is that miners would create an invalid transaction on the sidechain to just pay all the money to themselves. Yeah. And then your assumption is, 
well, there's got to be some miner out there somewhere who's going to actually create a valid alternative. Yeah. And at that point, it creates a conflict. And at that point, everyone checks and sees that the valid alternative is not sending all this money to all the miners. Yeah. So therefore, the peg out transaction is invalid and won't happen. Yeah. And, and to add to that, if there is no block that is forking away from the invalid block, then from the perspective of everybody who's using the soft chain, and it's important to note, if, you, if you're actually using the soft chain, you're, you're running it as a full node. So you opt into it and you actually validate it normally. So then from their perspective, the chain is not moving forward because it's just a big chain of invalid blocks. So all their transactions are stuck. So there's basically you know, huge fee pressure of saying like, hey, build the next block, please, because everything you're building is invalid. You know, from that perspective, I think it's incredibly unlikely that within a year, there is not going to be a block that is going to indicate that that entire chain was actually invalid. But this is where I start getting really scared. And you're also <laughs> going to get really scared. Yes. Yeah. You already gave some examples, but I'm going to give another one, which is that this is a fraud indicator, as you said. It's not really a proof. And I guess the difference here would be a, a proof would be something committed to the blockchain that really says, okay, this is the real thing and this is the evidence that this thing is wrong. And there's, there's problems with that concept, but at least everybody would have access to that proof at the same time. And with this fraud indicator, you're really hoping that all the Bitcoin fool nodes are aware that this particular pegout is invalid. So all of them have seen this alternative header chain, have seen this header fork, basically. Yeah. Because if one doesn't, then they might think, oh, it's perfectly valid. And so you get a consensus disagreement there. And that might still work out if the majority of hash power, at least, because, you know, as long as the Bitcoin miners, the majority of the Bitcoin miners are doing the correct thing. But if they're not, then things get real messy. Yeah, worst case scenario, which I, I think is kind of an unlikely scenario, right? If That you don't learn about a certain... It, it, it is very similar to how in Bitcoin you're assuming that you learn about the most proof-of-work chain. And if nobody tells you about the most proof-of-work chain, then you might get stuck on some fork and you don't see the chain move forward anymore or something like that. Theoretically, I guess that could happen on one of these soft chains. I think it's unlikely, but let's say it did. Then that one node or those couple of nodes that are in that situation, they could theoretically fork away from Bitcoin and they would consider some... Well, yeah, I guess I guess it would be a scenario where they think a certain pegout was invalid because they didn't learn about it or something. No, it'd be the other way around. So I think it wouldn't be too bad because yeah. if if there is a pegout that is not valid, yeah, but you have not seen the real chain, yeah, then you don't know that it's not valid, but that's okay because you still think you think it's valid. Yeah, but it's not being spent basically. Then yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think you'd be fine in terms of the software dynamics there. Yeah. yeah so I maybe guess so. we should move on to the example you talked about, which yeah. is now let's do some funny things with consensus. Yeah. <laughs> so there are problems with this, which you haven't talked about yet. And uh, let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. Ruben, uh, you're the expert. Yeah. Um, so the problem so far that I've identified, and I, I guess I'll you know start with saying that at its current, they're not terrible but i think they are bad enough for it to not really be a great idea for bitcoin yet like really if we can't mitigate these issues sufficiently i don't think this is something that should currently be activated in bitcoin right so you're against your own proposal i am basically <laughs> against my own proposal i think there is some potential there to think it through and maybe mitigate these issues so i'm, I'm hopeful that we can get to a point where it it's safer than i think it is or, or than I, I currently think it is Right. So but, we're yeah. considering this sort of like a first draft. 
Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay. So, so why, why yeah. is it a first draft? What's yeah. the problem? So the first issue, and, and this is one that I think can be mitigated, is that you could have a non-deterministic consensus in one of these soft chains. You mean like a bug, or is that what you yeah. mean or not? Yeah, yeah, it would be a bug. So what I mean by non-deterministic consensus is that you and I run the proof-of-work, fraud-proof soft chain, the, the, so the software on a different computer, and somehow the, the software interprets something differently and you think a block is invalid and i think a block is valid so that would be non-deterministic in the sense that we don't we don't given the same data we don't come to the same conclusion right but that's the same for bitcoin itself right that that's, is that's a, a problem right now yes so so what i mean here is that let's say if you want to do something fancy like hey let's uh, create an ethereum soft chain right well then you inherit all of ethereum's crazy stuff that's in there and that is not something I would be comfortable with because because of this non-deterministic bug potential, which could come back to actually influence Bitcoin main chain. Because let's see how this would occur. Yeah, if there's a transaction, there's a peg out transaction and the block is in dispute because there's a fork block. And because of this the, the, uh, non-deterministic uh, behavior, your node thinks the peg out is valid and my node thinks it's invalid. Then a year goes by and now the pegouts, half the network thinks the pegout gets is spendable, half the network thinks the, the pegout is not spendable, and now you run into a, a fork in, in on Bitcoin actually. Yeah, yeah. So any risk off the side chain would actually be an equal risk for Bitcoin in this scenario. Yes. It wouldn't be some sort of sealed off risk. That's the problem of side chain users. Yeah. It would now all of a sudden be everyone's problem. At the very least, you would see it coming because it would occur before that one year period is up. But you know that eventually it's going to happen and then you need to actually take action to prevent it, which is like at least a soft fork. So in so a this way... this could be the difference between two operating systems, like you said, Windows and Linux, maybe yeah. having different interpretation, but it can also be different versions, right? We had Bitcoin Core oh, 0.7 yeah. and 0.8, where we, you know, introduced a consensus bug, accidentally, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. had to be undone. Yeah. And now you have 10 different chains, each with their own development team, and they might not be very experienced and they one of those teams makes a single mistake like that yeah and boom yeah, yeah. so as if consensus isn't hard enough on bitcoin itself yet now we're expanding that to potentially less competent teams and yeah right now you could go back to what you said uh, the simplest version which just adds scale which is having 10 clones of bitcoin and maybe yeah. even i think you mentioned in the mailing list you turn off everything except taproot and you, you'd simplify it make it as unrisky as possible yeah now that actually brings up another two other issues for me mm. one we haven't talked about yet i think but I forgot what it was. <laughs> I'll, I'll interject and at least say say one thing, which is something that Adam Beck pointed out, which is that it's sort of like an extension block. An, an extension block would be that you have sort of a blockchain inside of a blockchain that everybody validates. So it's sort of the same thing here, where you could have an Ethereum extension block or something like that. The, the difference just is that it's, a, it's an extension block that's really cheap to validate for people who only what care about the peg-ins and the peg-outs, and the people who actually want to use the day-to-day, -day, they got to go and actually do full validation on it. Yeah. So so I have a couple of them that could be a problem. Okay. One is a denial-of-service attack, where I am a miner and I'm going to create blocks with a very low proof-of-work, basically. Mm. Well, it depends on when the soft fork is introduced. 
But if these soft chains have the same proof of work, but it's the lower difficulty, yeah. I could create lots of separate chains, presumably that you then all have to validate to figure out which one is wrong. And the other thing you mentioned that I realized, and that was the one I forgot, actually, you mentioned that these chains don't have their own block reward. Yeah. But, but then why the why on earth would you mine them? <laughs> uh, just for the fees, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it would be the same as, you know, Bitcoin eventually has to get into that state as well. But why not give it a block reward and have a nice game of musical chairs? <laughs> well, that would be an altcoin. <laughs> so then you get a, you basically break the 21 million limits by creating these other coins that I guess can't move back into Bitcoin main chain, but they would be... No, they yeah. can, just until the peg runs out. Until... So it just becomes more and more fractional. Oh, oh yeah, fractional, yeah. That, that would be great. <laughs> fractional chain. Well, well you know... But that will translate in a different price, obviously. Yeah. Defeating the point of a side chain. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that would be strictly lower price. Yeah, that would be uh, kind of disastrous. But uh, yeah, no, that's definitely uh, you know a good point. You run into the problem that Bitcoin will eventually run into sooner, and you sort of have a bootstrapping problem in the sense that when you first start the chain, there's not going to be much fee- uh, much in terms of fees on there. So there are a couple of things you can do. I think the the first thing you would want to do is be very conservative with how much block space you add. So you don't want to start and just create ten chains right away. You want to start maybe with one chain or something like that, or or you could have like one chain activate every year, or I don't know, something along those lines. And the yeah, the other thing you want to do is make sure that there's enough proof of work. Because yeah, like Shor's pointing out, if the proof of work is really cheap, every time a fork is created, and it, and it could then potentially be created really, really cheaply, every full node has to do more work. They have to download another block, and they have to check the U3XL proofs. It's roughly uh, three megabytes. So yeah, that would not be ideal. So... Either you would want there to be some kind of minimum where you say, mm-hmm. well, a block needs to at least have 10% of Bitcoin's proof of work or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Or, and I don't know if we want to get into that now, I guess we should, you could do merged mining. Right, because the other thing with proof of work before we get to merged mining yeah. is if if all these things are clones of Bitcoin Core and they all use SHA-256, now you have these giant ASIC miners that can pick mm. if they want to mine the main chain, some shitcoin clone or one of these 10 alternative chains and because they could overwhelm any of these alternative chains they could do all sorts of shenanigans where the whole game theory i think is not clear in advance generally it's very bad when two coins have the same proof of work algorithm the big coin can really bully the small coin yeah uh, reorg it out of existence mess with the difficulty do all sorts of shenanigans and, and now we can you know we would do that times 10 yeah so it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I guess a minimum proof of work could at least make that more difficult. Yeah. But then they you'd have to design consensus rules to compare difficulties and uh. Yeah, it, there 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 are some complexities there which I agree are not ideal, but I do think they're solvable. But yeah, we are getting into the territory of where you're starting to create fixes for little problems in ways that are not really uh, I think elegant. Where, this, where this will go and I think I mentioned this before in another episode where we said, like, there's some implementation details to work out. Yeah. But why do implementation <laughs> details matter? Because I think once you think about them, you will end up with just bigger blocks. That's sort of where you, as, as you know, after you apply fix after fix for problem after problem, you end up right back where you started with bigger blocks. And then you say, well, we don't want bigger blocks because the problem we had with bigger blocks, and it turns out you can't fix the block size problem. Yeah, I, I do I do think it's not quite like bigger blocks. At the very least, it's a soft fork, not a hard fork, so that's a win. <laughs> and I think the second thing that... But you can make yeah. bigger blocks with a soft fork. 
I guess you could if you made it an extension block. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Yeah. So the I think I, I guess to your proof of work points, just briefly to point out, you could choose to have different proof of work on on these different chains. So so that that could be one way of doing it. But that would I, I think that would also be a little messy. And that yeah, that opens multiple cans of worms, right? Yeah. It opens the cans of worms that other coins have when they come up with a new proof of work. Yeah, and yeah, ho- yeah. oops, there's an ASIC or oops, there's yeah. no ASIC. And or you're competing with some altcoin that you didn't know about. Yeah. But also, this proof of work is, again, another consensus thing that could have bugs in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm very, a slight tangent, I guess, but like every time a new coin is created, you don't know if the creators secretly have an optimization for whatever they chose for their proof of work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there's also the symmetry, because some proofs of work are not as nicely symmetrical at uh, asymmetrical, I mean, some you know, with Bitcoin, the, it takes yeah. a lot of work to produce the right hash, but it always takes the exact same amount of time to verify the hash. Yeah. So the verification is O zero, as we say, I think. So it scales yeah. with with the zero power, so it doesn't scale at all. And then the 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 proof of work scales more than that. But there there are other forms of proof of work where it might be actually quite expensive to verify it. So then. You create another DOS factor where in order to verify all these blocks, you need to do very expensive proof of work verification because, oops. Yeah. I feel but, like there's one criticism that I haven't addressed. Yeah, yeah sure. I think generally speaking, so to, to get back on track, I yeah. think the two main downsides you've mentioned now are the consensus risk, if there's a bug in one of the side chains, and the potentially low proof of work security of yeah. the side chains. Yeah. And then the third one... Well, uh, yeah, there, there's one more thing we should get into about the low proof of work, which is MERS mining. So that's one potential way of, of, of solving it. And now I remember what I was going to address, which was the claim of whether or not this isn't just like a block size increase. So if you do MERS mining, what you could do is you could say, well, every, every soft chain block just requires the same amount of proof of work as a Bitcoin block. And what that means is that every Bitcoin miner has to also MERS mine the soft chain. And this makes it more difficult for miners, which is a, a real downside, which which I'm not happy with. But it would mean that everyone who wants to be a Bitcoin miner also has to be a, a miner for every soft chain. Uh, so they would, if we were to introduce ten soft chains, that would mean they have to run another ten full nodes to get all the fees and to create adequate proof of work. So and, it, and do they have to create a block every time, or can they opt out of creating? I guess they can opt out of some some of the chains, right? Yeah. But they lose out on revenue. Yeah, exactly. So it would be, that's kind of the, always the tricky thing with merge mining. You're sort of obligated to merge mine because you're not going to be competitive if you don't do it. Right. And we talked about that in the episode about drive chains, where if you're a miner on the moon behind a Tor node, it's not fun if you have to download other chains as well. Yeah. And especially yeah. if those other chains also have super complicated smart contract validation rules and send yeah. you terabytes of data. And I guess it's worth mentioning that something like blind merge mining doesn't actually work for this. And there's an important reason for that, which is that you need forks to be outside of Bitcoin consensus. And with blind merge mining, your your consensus of your other chain is inside of the Bitcoin chain, which means that whoever is the Bitcoin miner can choose never to allow you to create the fork in the first place. So blind merge mining is off the table here. Yeah. Okay. Third problem. Oh yeah, no, just one more thing I wanted to address, which is, so in this scenario, the miners would have to do more work, but it's still the case that everybody who runs a regular full node and, and these soft chain full nodes or soft chain nodes, they 
they would not have to do 10 times the work. They would just have the same amount of work that they're doing today. And optionally, if they want to opt into one of these soft chains, then they have to validate that specific chain. So I think it's still a win in that regard where, you know, maybe you would have two chains that you validate per person and the other eight or nine chains uh, you, you don't care about. Well, at least, yeah, I guess other way to put it, the, if you're running a regular note, you verify what you care about. Yeah. Right. And plus a little bit of work for the other chains. That's right. With all yeah. the caveats that we talked about. Yeah. Denial of service attacks what, that make you verify all the things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Times. I think it's time for problem number three. That's right. Was there a third yes. problem? There was, yeah. So the third problem is also sort of related to the low proof of work, which is that you could have a scenario where there is a one-year reorg on the soft chain. And if that's the case, and if this, this one-year reorg... So that basically means 99.999% of miners are dishonest or something like that. Yeah, or 200%, like depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> like you have a chain and then suddenly a new chain appears. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it doesn't have to be... It doesn't even have to be invalid. These could be two valid chains. The thing is that one year from now you have to make a decision. Is this pegout valid or is this pegout invalid? And let's say right at the moment where it's about to become valid, then you know you say in your note, you say, okay, this pegout is valid, I'm done. And then right at that moment, this other chain appears with a year worth of proof of work, which basically pushes out the pegout transaction. Oh, it suddenly appears. It suddenly appears. Oh, that's a problem. And that's a problem, yeah. And now now that pegout transaction that you thought was valid is is not valid. And if this happens right at that moment, right at the year cutoff, then half the network might think it's valid, half the network might think it's invalid. And now we're back to the, the fork, fork so issue. This reminds me of something that happened to Bitcoin Cash. Because yeah. they were uh, doing a bunch of hard forks and they had very low proof of work and then they had a little bit of a fight with uh, Bitcoin SV and you know they were threatening to reorg each other yep and basically if you have two tiny tiny coins in this case and you start reorging one of them well yeah in general if you have a tiny coin and somebody threatens to reorg you you might get a reorg of 10 or 20 blocks or something like that and so rather than just accepting that which means you just have to wait more confirmations the Bitcoin cash folks said no 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 if there is a if your node sees a reorg of more than ten, it will <laughs> ignore it. Yeah. And this is very bad because what happens now is that let's say you are running continuously, your node is constantly on. It sees a bunch of block coming in and then it sees a twenty block reorg. And so it ignores it. But then and, and then it might stop because that twenty block reorg might actually be the chain that's continuing. So your node will just stop suddenly. Yeah. But if you're a new node and you're starting up, you're just looking at which is the longest right now and you're going to follow that. Yeah. So it's, 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 it means that your the state of your node depends on how long it's been online. Yeah. And if somebody games it and creates reorgs that are exactly 10 blocks long, yep. you know, it just creates them secretly and then sends them over the network, it just knows that because of the difference in timing, it's going to knock half the nodes out. And, yep. And or you can steal coins that way, of course. Yeah. You because can. you can fool, an, if you can fool an exchange into no longer checking new blocks. Yep. Yeah. With the amount of proof of work security on Bcash, someone could do that as a hobby. I think... Uh, yes. I think... Uh, okay, so that's sort of, Yeah, and that's kind of the same problem here. Yeah, but no, I totally agree. It's exactly the same problem. 
And I, I think uh, just specific to what you mentioned, I think Bitcoin Unlimited does not have that. So if you run an exchange, just go run Bitcoin Unlimited. So you don't have that problem. But yeah, uh, you could literally... Does that still exist? That's a good question. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is all the information by now. The code exists somewhere, I guess it exists. Yeah, maybe it's yeah, uh, it's not being kept up to date. So any, any recent uh, Bitcoin Core bugs might apply here. But yeah. Or newly introduced bugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible too, of course. So really, yeah, it is that same problem where you have this one year cutoff and that... If there is a reorg right at that moment, you know the the, the saving grace here compared to the, the Bitcoin Cash example is that it's not ten blocks; it's one year. So yeah, so that's but that I, makes I think it better. This but yeah, comes back to my point that the difference between a fraud proof that is committed somehow, yeah, and so you know what all the reorg rules are versus an indicator, which is depends on when you see things and yeah. does not depend on something that's actually in the block in the main blockchain. Yeah. So yeah. But the, the one year reorg, if, if we were to do merge mining, it would be incredibly unlikely that any miner would succeed in doing that without getting noticed. Because, yeah, but, but when yeah. it comes to Bitcoin consensus, incredibly unlikely is not good enough. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. But yeah, it, it is It is definitely, it's a pain point, right? And we can try to mitigate it and we can make it less and less painful, but it, it, it stays there, it's there. And I don't think you can get it, you can get rid of it completely. And there is one more mitigation that I wanted to point out, which is that what you could do is you could actually disallow, just like your uh, example, just like with Bitcoin Cash, you could disallow reorgs of longer than half a year on the soft chain. And what this does is it, you create the exact same problem as Bitcoin Cash, right? Where if you have a half a year reorg, suddenly you, you, you lose consensus. But because you do it after half a year, not after a year, the consensus issue appears on the soft chain first. And then you still have half a year before that issue goes and comes to the, the main chain. And then you could potentially do a soft fork or something like that to, to mitigate that issue if it occurs. I don't think this is great because you don't want to rely on soft forks, but I'm just throwing it out there. So I think we talked about this long enough. Yeah. Let's get to the verdict. Yeah, I think I say mentioned let's, everything. let's not do this. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we all agree, or at least I would say it's an interesting con concept. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's uh, fairly well thought out, but part of that thinking it out includes concluding that there are some trade-offs that probably make it not worth yeah. the risks and the efforts for now. Yeah, so I'm hopeful that maybe other people who are listening to this come up with some ideas to make it more viable than it is today. I have a little chat room that I actually created for Space Chain. So if people want to join me there and, and try and think of ways of mitigating that, it's t.me slash Space Chains. I, I use it for soft chains as well. I mean, I don't want to create another cha another chat room for uh, for every uh, proposal. So that's, uh, you know, if people are interested in that, they can come join me there. That's on Telegram. That's on Telegram, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's it, Shores. Okay, then. Thank you for listening to the Van Weerdom Shorsnado. There you go. There you go. 